morning and welcome to our Daily Word and Prayer. My name is Tom Short, so glad to have you along with us today as we get into the Word of God. And actually, we're going to read a story today. I've got a question for you. Do your plant Christmas plans ever get frustrated? And if so, how frustrated do you get? Well, understand something about our God. Sometimes the most wonderful things come out of our frustrations. Sometimes God shows up in pretty neat ways, does he not? We see that all throughout the Bible, and we also see that throughout a story I'd like to read to you today. I've got another question for you. What's your favorite Christmas tradition? Well, for me, right near the top of the list has got to be the Christmas Eve service, and to sing Silent Night while the candles are lit and the church is dark is a beautiful memory that goes back into my childhood and something to be cherished. But it almost didn't come about. And I'd like to read you the story today of how we got the song Silent Night, perhaps the most perhaps the most famous of all Christmas carols. Now, I could tell you the story, but rather I'd rather just read it to you from a book by a fellow named Ace Collins who wrote the book Stories Behind the Best Loved Songs of Christmas. I've done a little bit more research on this author. He's written a lot of books and he is a great storyteller. And he's written about a lot of uh, things in our heritage. He's written some novels and uh, some historically accurate stories, like, like what we'll read right here today. And so I'd, uh, if you're looking for some good literature to read, you might check him out, okay? So here I'm going to read a story behind Silent Night. And again, this comes from the book, Stories Behind the Best Loved Songs of Christmas by Ace Collins. Here we go. Even though Silent Night has been recorded more than any other song in history, the fact that we know, know it at all is a miracle. Created out of necessity and performed in a tiny village on a solitary Christmas Eve by two ordinary Austrians and a tiny choir, this incredibly beautiful and simple carol owes its debut to an organ that wouldn't play and a priest who wouldn't hold a Christmas mass without special music. Later, just weeks into the new year, the beloved carols march to worldwide popularity was was begun by a man who came to fix a faulty instrument. In 1817, 25-year-old Joseph Moore was assigned to the position of assistant priest at St. Nicholas Church in Oberndorf, Austria. A lover of music since his boyhood in Salzburg, Moore would, would, was placed in charge of the music used at a small church, and he even wrote poems and song lyrics for special services. A seemingly tireless and giving man, he spent much of his spare time ministering to children from the area's poorest families. In his desire to serve and inspire, if ever a man fulfilled the full description of the word pastor, it was Marr. In 1818, during a particularly cold winter, Marr was making last-minute preparations for a special Christmas Eve Mass, a service he had been planning for months. Everything from music to message was in place. But as he cleansed and readied the sanctuary, the priest encountered an unfathomable dilemma. St. Saint Nicholas' Saint organ wouldn't play. A frantic moor struggled with the old instrument for hours, making adjustments, fiddling with keys, stops, and pedals, even crawling behind the console to see if he could find a problem, find the problem. In spite of his efforts, the organ remained silent its voice as still as a dark winter's night. 
Realizing he could do nothing else, the priest paused and prayed for inspiration. He asked God to show him a way to bring music to his congregation on the year's most meaningful day of worship. Moore would find the answer to his prayer born from events initiated almost two years before St. Nicholas Organ played out. In 1816, while assigned to a church in Mariarpar, uh, pardon the pronunciation on that city, Moore had written a Christmas poem. The six unadorned stanzas were inspired on a winter's walk from his grandfather's home to the church. Though he had shared the words with a few friends, the priest never sought to have the work published nor attempted to come up with a melody to go with his words. When Marr was transferred to the church in Oberndorf, he had brought the poem along with his few personal possessions. Digging Stalignacht, Helignacht from his desk, Moore read over the words two years later. Up until that moment, the verses hadn't seemed very important to the priest, but as he read them again, it was as the Lord was tossing him a lifeline of hope. Buoyed by new and unfolding expectations, he showed the worn paper in, shoved the worn paper into his coat pocket and rushed out into the night. Only hours before the Christmas Eve mass, the priest fought his way through snow-covered streets. On that same evening, 31-year-old schoolteacher Franz Gruper was struggling to stay warm in his drafty apartment over the schoolhouse. Though he had once studied organ with noted teacher George Hardubler, Hardubler, then he now played the instrument only for St. Nicholas's modest services. As he went over notes from one of his lessons, Gruber have, had been surprised to hear an insistent knock at the door and find Father Moore on the other side. By that time, the priest should have been at the church, preparing for services, not making rounds, visiting old friends and colleagues. After a quick Merry Christmas, the obviously agitated priest pulled the teacher to the apartment's small table and signaled to Gruber to sit down beside him. In a distressed tone, Moeller explained the problem they faced. After he convinced Gruber nothing could be done to fix the organ, Marr showed Franz his poem. Franz, he begged, can you write music to these words that can be easily learned by our choir? Without the organ, I guess the song will have to be played on a guitar. The priest glanced at the clock on the table and added, the time is short. Studying the poem, Gruber nodded his head. The look in his eyes and the smile on the schoolteacher's face showed that he felt up to the challenge. Confident again that God somehow had a special plan for this Christmas Eve, Marr raced back across the snow to the church, leaving Gruber alone for, with his thoughts, a ticking clock, and a prayer for inspiration. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin, mother and child. Holy infant, so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace. Silent night, holy night, shepherds quake at the sight. Glory stream from heaven afar, heavenly hosts sing alleluia. Christ the Savior is born. Christ the Savior is born. Silent night, holy night. Son of God, 
loves pure light. Radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord at thy birth. Jesus, Lord at thy birth. A few hours later, the two friends met at St. Nicholas. There in a candlelit sanctuary, Gruber shared his new music with Mar. The priest approved, and after learning the guitar chords, rushed it to the choir members who were waiting for their scheduled rehearsal. What should have taken weeks was accomplished in hours. In the little time they had, Mar and Gruber taught the choir members the four-part harmonies in the last two lines of each verse. Just after midnight, Mar and Gruber stood in front of the main altar and introduced their simple little song, <coughs> simple little song. As they sang, they couldn't have guessed that Stale Nacht, Heilignacht, would be remembered not only the next Christmas in their small village, but almost 200 years later, all around the world. A few weeks later, in the new year, Carl Maharakcher, excuse me, an organ builder and repairman from Ziller Valley traveled to Oberndorf to fix St. Nicholson's organ. While Carl worked, Marr shared the story of how he and Gruber had used a guitar and an original composition to save the Christmas Eve Mass. He sang the song he considered an answered prayer. Impressed, the repairman jotted down the words and learned the melody. Over the next few years, he went about his profession. He introduced Stalagnacht to many churches and towns. During the 19th century, Austria and Germany had scores of traveling folk singers. Most of the uh, groups were composed of family members who not only sang but worked specialized jobs to earn their keep as they journeyed from town to town. In 1832, the Stasser family, folk singers, appeared in a small community where Mocker had recently installed an organ. During their stay, the family of singing glove makers learned Stalichnacht. A few weeks later, at a concert in Leipzig, the Stossers performed the carol in front of a large crowd that had gathered for a fair. Moved by the song's deep spiritual message, King William IV of Prussia requested his nation's cathedral choir sing Stalichnacht at its annual Christmas celebration. Due in part to the king's favor, Stalichnacht stormed across much of Eastern Europe and pressed, the wet, pressed west to Great Britain. In December of 1839, another Austrian family group, the Rainers, traveled to New York. As part of the, one of their performances, the family sang Stalichnacht in English for a huge crowd at Trinity Church. It was such a popular number that other local groups began to sing it in churches. By the Civil War, Silent Night had become America's most popular Christmas carol. During the battle between the Union and Confederacy, it was not unusual for hostilities to cease for four days, starting on December 25th, with troops from both sides laying down their arms to come together to worship, share gifts, read scripture, and sing Silent Night. At the, as the carol's popularity spread, so did the legends about its origin. At various times, music publishers gave composition credit to Beethoven, Bach, and Handel. 
It was only when Franz Gruber began a letter-writing campaign to newspapers and publishers producing a copy of one of the first arrangements that the true origin of Silent Night was finally recognized. Yet even with the melody's rightful history secured, fanciful stories about the song's lyrics continue to spread. Joseph Moore died penniless in 1848 before being recognized as the carol's writer. Without the priest alive to refute the story, it became generally accepted that the song's lyrics had been written in haste after it was discovered that mice had chewed through the organ's bellows and disabled the instrument rather than the fact that it was old and simply broke in extremely cold temperatures. Though a wonderful story and still accepted by millions, it is one of fiction much more than fact. By the late 1800s, Silent Night had been translated into more than 20 languages and was a vital part of Christmas celebrations all over the world. And by the 20th century, like the celebration of Christmas itself, Silent Night had moved out of the church and into the mainstream. In 1905, the Hayden Quartet cut the first recording of Silent Night. This first trip up the popular hit parade was just the beginning. Literally thousands of others from around the world would record this simple carol in years to come. By 1960, the carol was recognized as the most recorded song in music history. Despite its popularity, Silent Night remains in most minds what it was written to be. Simple, direct ode of praise, Created to make Christmas service more meaningful, the old Austrian carol is as powerful and fresh today as it was on that first Christmas Eve it, when it was sung in St. Nicholas Church. An answer to prayer. Few words have better captured the history of the Savior born that silent night. Oh, Father in heaven, we bless you. We thank you again on this Christmas Eve. And I thank you, we'll be singing this song and lighting candles as we sing, even this evening, all over the world, how we pray that people might come to know the true story of Christmas, might come to know the Savior more than ever before, and might have that simple, humble spirit of praise for the coming of the Savior into this world. We thank you, Lord, for this Christmas time. I think of this cold weather out there that's disrupting so many plans. But we thank you, Father, that you're a God that even when plans are disrupted, that sometimes you turn them into beautiful, you have a beautiful ending in mind, and the story is not over, and you finish it. Father, I pray even today for people frustrated with plans of life, or frustrated with life, frustrated with not just today or how the weather today, but frustrated with their life, that you might give them, you might give them hope. And you might show that you can change the whole story and take whatever mess we're in and make it into something more beautiful than we could have ever imagined. And so we praise you. This is the God you are, and we love you now. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Hey, thanks for joining with me today. I want to wish you a Merry Christmas, and I'll be, we'll be back tomorrow on Christmas morning because we're here every day. If you're new with us today, a special welcome. I hope you will join us regularly. Subscribe to the channel. Tune in every day, whether live at 8.30 in the morning or you can watch anytime later in the day or even just listen to the podcast. But we believe in daily inspiration, daily encouragement. We get so much information coming our way. 
so many, so much news, so much uh, social media, so much coming our way. We could use some encouragement each day, 15 minutes a day to inspire us and point our eyes towards the Lord. It'll make a difference in your life. So if you're new, I hope you'll join us. To those of you here every day, you know I love you. So glad you're here. What a privilege it is for me to sow the good seed of God's word on the good soil of your life. So I know it's making a difference. So until we meet tomorrow, might the Lord bless you, strengthen you, fill you with hope, joy. And remember, no matter what your plans are, God can always turn things for the good. Amen. God bless you. I love you. And we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.